0: This is the Rundown Rundown. The Rundown. Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's
1: sports station.
0: Welcome into another edition of The Rundown live from the Ak-Chin Community Studios. I am Jordan Bird filling in for Luke Lipinski on this Monday evening, a very busy Monday evening here locally and around the world of sports. Of course, with the NCAA tournament take uh, going on, you heard Sarah in the update mention we've got games with Florida State and Colorado, Michigan and LSU. Alabama and Maryland have uh, tipped off a few moments ago, so we're going to continue to keep you updated on everything that's going on with the NCAA tournament, and it being so odd that we're here having Monday tournament games, that normally is not the case, the new Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday schedule, I think throwing all of us for a little bit of a loop, but we're going to start tonight with the news out of the Arizona Diamondbacks today, and that is Zach Gallon, the Presumed ace, I mean, by all indications, he should be the opening day starter for the Arizona Diamondbacks when or if he's healthy. That is now in question because the Arizona Diamondbacks, Tory Lavello and Zach Gallon himself made it known today that he is having right lateral forearm soreness. And for Zach Gallon, that is a big red flag when you hear forearm soreness, forearm tightness, that typically means... Tommy John surgery is not that far around the corner. So it's still in the very preliminary stages of where we're at right now with Zach Gallon. but at least as of right now, it doesn't look great. He's going to miss some sort of time. It, It may be a few weeks. Hopefully it's not months or a year, but it's the worst possible news that you could get for the Arizona Diamondbacks as we are now just about a week and a half away from opening day and the Diamondbacks beginning their 2021 season. Um, first off, let's hear from Zach Gallen because uh, he's keeping a somewhat optimistic viewpoint on this, although he did say the mental part of dealing with this is more of a challenge than the physical nature.
1: Physically, I feel okay. Um, you know, It's just a little bit of soreness. Um, you know, mentally it's probably worse. Uh, you know, we were, we were coming down into the home stretch here, getting ready for the season. So, you know, it just kind of kind of stinks just to to hear, you know, that I was going to get scratched, and you know, it's going to see what's going to happen from here. But yeah, mentally it's probably the tougher part because. You know, you want to go out there and and be on the mound as as much as physically possible.
0: He says he first noticed it during a BP session, which is just frustrating for him and frustrating for Diamondback fans that one of your top pitchers on your staff gets injured doing something that is a lot of times an afterthought in today's Major League Baseball. But Gallon did think that it is a positive that he's feeling it only in his curveball, his fastball, his other off-speed stuff, his other breaking ball stuff he isn't feeling the right forearm soreness that he is except for when he throws his curveball
1: i mean i don't i don't think we have all the information so it's it's tough to say but i think it's definitely a positive that i've I've pitched in it um or pitched with it pitched in two games now um the rest of myself has felt fine um you know, if not, like I said, you know, the rust is coming off and those pitches are feeling like they are they were starting to get better. So I think that, you know, in and of itself is a positive.
0: Without knowing how far Gallon is going to be out for or for how long Zach Gallon is going to be out for, this is a tough pill to swallow. Because if the Arizona Diamondbacks were going to have any chance of surprising people around baseball this season, Zach Gallon was going to have to be a huge part of that and still conceivably will have to be a big part of that. The reemergence of Cattell Marte. Uh, Madison Baumgartner getting back into his I don't want to say you know elite form because I don't know if that's actually realistically attainable but being better than he was in 2020 so those are just three of the major factors that are going to have to play a role for the Diamondbacks to play a little bit of a surprise team this year in the 2021 season and so it's a setback there's no other way around it it's a tough pill to swallow as I mentioned however There are some things to keep in note with Zach Gallon and what his 2021 year was going to look like. As Burns and Gamble were talking about earlier today, Zach Gallon was going to be somewhat on an innings limit this season. I mean, he only pitched about 60 innings last year or, you know, under 100 innings last year due to the shortened season. And to think that he was going to come in and start pitching, you know, 150, 180 innings. Was just not realistic considering how he is still developing and how he is still trying to find his way around a big league pitching staff. So, Zach Gallen was already going to be somewhat limited. So, if by chance Gallen is and his injury is not too severe to the point where he's going to need Tommy John surgery and be out for the entire season, if he's going to be out for a few weeks or a month or two, it actually kind of plays somewhat into what the Arizona diamondbacks were probably going to be doing anyways. And that was limiting the amount of innings that Zach gallon can pitch. Now the other angle on this, and I know diamondback fans, hardcore D back fans are not going to want to hear this, but as much as this team has talent and they, they can maybe make some noise this season, this is not being considered a banner year for the Arizona diamondbacks. Now, Traditionally, the years that the Diamondbacks are not thought of much during spring training are the years that they actually have greater success. You know, it's the years when they have the expectations, the seasons when there are some expectations put on this team where they flounder. That That's just kind of their M.O. over the last 10 years or so. But the idea that Zach Gallon could be out for a substantial amount of time really doesn't change the overall trajectory of the Arizona Diamondbacks I mean if we're being honest at best the Diamondbacks were probably playing for third place in the NL West division so that doesn't change it's not like having Zach Gallon out derails what could have been or what could be or what should be a championship season and I know that's not the way to be thinking about it going into you know the final week of spring training but just looking at it with clear eyes that's the reality of the situation so all the best to Zach Gallon. Of course, keep it tuned to Arizona Sports 98.7 FM and ArizonaSports.com for all of the latest news surrounding this injury. And we will keep you updated on just how long Zach Gallin might be out for for the Snakes. The Rundown. Rapid reaction. Rapid reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. Well, there's some other news going on in the desert, in the valley today. Steve Keim spoke with reporters. We'll get into some of his comments a little bit later, but before he made that Zoom conference call, he actually did a little bit further retooling along his offensive line, bringing back Max Garcia on a one-year deal and bringing in former Buffalo Bill Brian Winters also on a one-year deal. Now, both of these players are more traditionally guards, but Max Garcia can play center, and that kind of leads you to think, what the future might hold for Mason Cole and Lamont Gilliard. If you have a guy bringing back in Max Garcia that can play a little bit of that center spot more so though, to me, it's going to be very intriguing to see what happens with that right guard spot. Now during his presser today, Steve Kimes said that Justin Pugh is their left guard. So by all indications, there are four out of the five offensive line spots that are already locked up right now. Humphreys at left tackle Pugh at left guard, Rodney Hudson at center, and at right tackle, Calvin Beecham. That leaves a lot of different candidates that could be in play to be the guard on that right side. Also included in that is their third-round pick from last year, Josh Jacobs, who now all of a sudden could be a guy, or excuse me, Josh Jones, who could be a guy now that moves from the tackle spot to the guard spot. But it's going to be stiff competition, and that is a benefit for the Arizona Cardinals, having options and not just being hamstrung into decisions based out of necessity. Patrick Peterson made his debut as a Minnesota Viking today, at least in terms of his press conference on Zoom. And according to the Vikings general manager, Rick Spielman, it was Patrick Peterson and his agent, that reached out to Minnesota about potentially landing with the Vikings. In fact, Spielman even said that he was a little surprised that, you know, they hadn't even thought about Patrick Peterson. They had discussed it, but it seemed like a long-off possibility, a foregone conclusion that they wouldn't be able to afford him. But after Peterson contacted them, they started to look into their finances, try to move some things around, and lo and behold, Patrick Peterson is now a member of the Minnesota Vikings. And the NCAA tournament now underway. Uh, as I mentioned, it's the Monday edition. Very unusual for any longtime March Madness fans to be having these games played on a Monday. But it's a big year right now for the Pac 12, shaping up to be a very strong season. They've already got a handful of teams in with Oregon, Oregon State. You're going to have USC later on this evening. You have Colorado playing right now. And for the Pac-12, it feels like it was 20 years ago when you had the power conference of the Pac-12 conference being relevant in the NCAA tournament. However, though, for the local teams, it does feel like we're missing out on the party somewhat. U of A, of course, could not participate because of their one-year postseason ban that they self-imposed on themselves. And ASU, with just a disaster of a season, not even getting close to sniffing the NCAA tournament. It's great to see the Pac-12 doing well as a conference. I'm rooting for them. I want these teams to go as far as possible. But it does feel like ASU and U of A fans are left out in the cold a little bit, watching everyone party inside the warm house. Coming up next, here on the Rundown with Jordan Bird filling in for Luke Lipinski, it's now the biggest question outside of Larry Fitzgerald, surrounding the Arizona Cardinals. How are they going to feel, fill these roles in the open cornerback position? That's coming up next on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Jordan Bird in for Luke Lipinski on this Monday edition of The Rundown. As I mentioned earlier, Steve Keim held a press conference uh, It wasn't necessarily in conjunction with the announcing of the Brian Winters and the Max Garcia contracts, but it kind of just was a recap of what has happened so far in free agency, a little bit of a preview towards the upcoming NFL draft, which is now just a little over a month away. And one of the questions that uh, were big when it comes to Steve Kine being asked by local reporters was, What's going to happen with that cornerback position? Patrick Peterson has now moved on. He's a Minnesota Viking. And now you have basically Robert Alford, who hasn't been healthy in the last two seasons, and a bunch of leftovers. And I think that's putting it almost kindly with what the Arizona Cardinals have on their roster. No real significant cornerback play beyond Robert Alford, and that certainly hasn't happened with the Arizona Cardinals. One guy, though, in particular that I have always been talking about as a guy that should be looked at as one of those starting corners on the left or right side is Byron Murphy. A guy who was a second-round pick not that long ago, was actually the first pick in the second round, so a quasi-first-rounder, and during the past few seasons has spent... The vast majority of his time in the slot being the third nickel corner for the Arizona Cardinals. Here's what Steve Kime had to say about Byron Murphy and what his role potentially could be as the Cardinals are looking
2: everywhere right now for a cornerback. Byron can play outside. He's done it before. Uh, I think, you know, to, to find guys who can play inside is a little more difficult, uh, than years in the past. And it's a really tough position, uh, with two way goes and the quickness that's required to play inside. And we think Murph's one of the better inside corners in the NFL. He can play outside as well. He can play outside, but we love basically how
0: he how his skill set fits into that slot corner. And that's all well and good. But I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you're using a second round pick, and specifically the first pick in that second round on a cornerback, you expect more out of that guy than just being the slot corner. You expect him eventually at one point in time when the circumstances permit for him to be able to lock down one side or the other. And so I think it's it would be a failure in the respect of where Byron Murphy was selected in the draft if, for the foreseeable future, he continues to be just a slot corner. And I know that there is a greater emphasis on having a slot corner. You know, Basically, nowadays in today's NFL, especially depending on the opponent that you're facing and the offense that they run— with as many wide receivers as we see now on the field and four receivers and five receiver sets, you need a very substantially good third corner. But right now for the Arizona Cardinals, what is more important? Having a slot corner and having him lock down that position or having a guy lock down the other primary wide receivers for the teams that they're facing? A number one or a number two? To me... As it stands right now, Byron Murphy has to be in that conversation of being one of those two starting cornerbacks. Now, if we get deeper into this offseason and we get into training camp and it turns out that Byron Murphy is better suited for that third cornerback role, if either he is not capable of being one of the starting two or if by lack of necessity, uh, by the other pieces that they need him there, then so be it. But as we stand right now, Byron Murphy should be realistically looked at as a viable option at that spot. Now, Kime did continue saying that, as it comes to finding some veteran cornerbacks, they're looking as it goes
2: right now. You know, every team has holes and you, you one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to panic uh and do things that are uh, put you in a tough situation from a cap standpoint. So uh we'll continue continue to monitor the market. Uh there's different avenues that we can take, whether it's through free agency, trade options, or even the NFL draft.
0: I like that idea about not panicking to put yourself in a bad position. And to me, the way I read into that, and I could be completely off base, but the way I'm reading into that right now is that the, the available cornerbacks that are out there right now on the free agency market, they're asking for too much money. And if the Arizona Cardinals can wait them out, buy some time, and eventually these players themselves will start to go in a little bit of panic mode and realize, man, I need a contract. I need to get on a team and will start to reduce their asking price, then the Cardinals might be able to benefit from the way that this market has played out so far. But as of right now, there's no denying that it's a scary proposition to think that the Arizona Cardinals do not have much at that position. And as much as I am fine with Patrick Peterson no longer being a member of the Arizona Cardinals, because I don't feel like his play the last two, three years warranted you know, getting him the money that he thinks he deserves. It is concerning that you let Patrick Peterson go and you have really, at this point in time, no backup plan and replacing him. Now, like I said, it could come to fruition in the form of waiting these current guys out. Steve Kime even mentioned a trade mentioned the draft. I love getting one of those three cornerbacks in this year's NFL draft, whether that be Patrick Sertan JC Horn or Caleb Farley, which, oh, by the way, Caleb Farley is going to have back surgery. Uh, It's outpatient surgery, and his agent says that he should still be good for training camp. But as of right now, it's scary. It really is scary thinking about what this position group could look like when the Cardinals begin their 2021 season. Well, the Suns beat the Lakers last night. It was a good game for DeAndre Ayton as he led the Suns with 26 points. Also, Devin Booker had 26 points, but it felt like it was a real DeAndre Ayton type game. 26 points, 8 rebounds, very efficient. 10 of 13 from the field and 6 of 7 from the free throw line. And you think, great, you know, as as we all... Every single Suns fan out there is looking for these moments, looking for these glimmers of hope that Deandre Ayton is starting to turn the corner, that he's starting to get it and that we are heading in the right direction and we'll no longer see the the backstepping, you know, the, the going back in terms of his development. As great of it is to see Deandre Ayton get to the free throw line, which those 7 free throw attempts or only the third time this season that DeAndre Ayton has had seven or more free-throw attempts. It's a positive sign. But it comes against watered-down competition. For the Lakers, no Anthony Davis, no LeBron James, and of course LeBron would not be on DA. But his main defenders in that game last night were Markeith Morris and Montrez Herald. Those are undersized big men. And using the term big men for those guys is not really accurate. It's almost unfair. And DeAndre Ayton should have feasted on that type of defensive counterpart that was on him last night. And so DeAndre Ayton is showing steps in the right direction, but he has to do it in more meaningful situations. Like, for example, coming up tomorrow. The Phoenix Suns are in Miami and will take on the Miami Heat. That is a 5 o'clock tip-off. Who will he be up against in terms of with the Miami Heat? Bam Adebayo. And those are the type of games where we need to see this same type of production, where we see this same type of energy. That was the biggest thing to me last night with DeAndre Ayton. Is it? Sh- it seemed like he wanted to be a participant with what the Phoenix Suns were doing. A lot of times it seems like he is... I don't want to use the word lazy, but that he is picking and choosing his moments when to f- fully physically exert himself. Well, that's all well and good when you're doing it against Lester competition, when you're doing it against guys that you should be dominating. But can you have that same level of intensity? Can you have that same level of contribution for your team when you're facing the bigger and better centers of the NBA? Because come playoff time, that's when DeAndre Ayton is going to be needed. He's not going to be needed to beat up on these guys who are you know, just placeholders at the moment during a regular season game. When it comes to the Nuggets, when it comes to a healthy Anthony Davis with the Lakers, when it comes to Rudy Gobert and the Utah Jazz, will DeAndre Ayton be able to provide that same boost when it matters most against the league's best centers? That's what I'm going to be looking for tomorrow night when the Suns, as I mentioned, are in Miami to take on the Heat. Coming up next here on The Rundown with Jordan Bird filling in for Luke Lipinski. We've been waiting. We've been waiting. So what is going on with Larry Fitzgerald? And what will his decision be about his status for the 2021 season? That's coming up next to our 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. Jordan Bird back here with you live from the auction community studio, filling in for Luke Lipinski on this Monday edition of the rundown. It's the biggest question that the singular question facing the Arizona Cardinals right now, what is the status of Larry Fitzgerald? What is going to happen with Fitz? We're now over a month from when we previously in past seasons have known the decision of Larry Fitzgerald. And of course it's always been that he's coming back and it's leading to more and more speculation Here locally and around the rest of the NFL about, well, the fact that we haven't heard that he's going to retire or that he's going to return to the Arizona Cardinals is making some people think, myself included, is there a chance that he goes elsewhere? That he ends his career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the Minnesota Vikings? Steve Kime, during his press conference with reporters earlier today, was asked about Larry Fitzgerald. Is there anything at all you, you... You've heard from Larry. Uh, Where where, where are we with the whole situation?
2: We've texted a few times, but but nothing to uh, the extent of his intentions. I don't get
0: that. And it could be just straight up GM BS that he absolutely knows what Larry Fitzgerald is going to do, but just doesn't want to make it known as of right now. But if that is the case, and this is speculation on top of speculation, so th- this is not anything that is grounded in concrete knowledge as we stand right now. But if the Cardinals don't know, that is, I said it a week or so ago, it's rude. Like, how, how can Larry Fitzgerald not tell them, hey, these are this is my plan? I mean, we're into free agency now. We're a month or so away from the NFL draft. The Cardinals do need some kind of answer. And I understand with all of the great work that Larry Fitzgerald has done over the last years, the last two decades, that he is allowed to have the time to make his decision. But at a certain point, there has to be a deadline on that. You can't just continue to drag this out and leave the Cardinals in limbo. So that's one speculative Hypothesis or uh, hypothetical. The other is that the Cardinals do know, and that car that Larry Fitzgerald is going to retire, and they're just trying to find the perfect time to announce it. To me, that also too is a little bit irresponsible in terms of, well, why not announce it? What what are you waiting for? What does the real perfect scenario look like to announce a Larry Fitzgerald retirement? Drew Brees already announced his retirement with the New Orleans Saints, and I would imagine that if you asked a Saints fan living in southern Louisiana, that Drew Brees meant just as much to the Saints organization as we hold up and as Larry Fitzgerald has meant to the Arizona Cardinals organization. So if other players are announcing their retirements, other future Hall of Famers there's, it's not like the, the sports world has to go completely dark before Larry Fitzgerald can make that decision. There was something else that Steve Kime said about A.J. Green, the newest member of the wide receiver core for
2: the Arizona Cardinals today. What will Green's role be? We, we primarily see him as our Z receiver, uh, but we'll uh, move all those guys around to create uh, different mismatches against uh, the defenses we see. Um, as far as Larry, it doesn't have any effect on, on where he would line up. Um, and again, the more, the more talent you can have in any position, the more depth, the more playmakers we can acquire um, certainly excites us. It's true that
0: A.J. Green's presence now doesn't affect where Larry Fitzgerald would line up, but how much playing time would he actually get? Because if DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green now are your two wide receivers on the outside, then is Larry Fitzgerald getting the majority of the snaps in the slot over Christian Kirk? Because the way that we stand right now, where both of those players are at in their careers, I think I would rather have Christian Kirk getting the majority of the snaps in the slot. I think that's what he is best suited for. Uh, we have found out through the since he's been drafted that Christian Kirk is not a number 2 wide receiver. He is best suited for that third spot role. So are you going to play Larry Fitzgerald above Christian Kirk at the expense of keeping Kirk off the field? And it's not like Larry Fitzgerald is, you know, uh, uh, some trash that he wouldn't be able to be productive. I still think that he would be able to make a contribution. But I think Christian Kirk would be able to help this team more, would be able to help this offense more. If he was the one in the slot for the majority of the time, then Larry Fitzgerald. So the way that this is all continuing to shape up, I really, truly believe that Larry Fitzgerald is going to retire. I do. I mean, I just think that it's a little bit of lip service that we're getting from the Arizona Cardinals. I think that they know. I think that they want to roll out some red carpet, if you will, for the announcement. And rightfully so. Larry Fitzgerald has deserved that. He earns that. And I think Cardinal fans will stand up and applaud when that decision comes. Not the actual decision for him to hang it up. There's going to be a lot of Cardinal fans that are going to be upset about that. But just celebrating the career and what he has accomplished here with the Arizona Cardinals, I think that is going to be, I'm stating the obvious here, but that is going to be worthy of celebrating. And so all I'm saying is let's hurry up with it. Because the longer this continues to get dragged out, the more of a distraction this continues to be. Maybe not so much for the Cardinals, but for the fan base, for the rest of the NFL. We need some type of closure on this, and we need it fairly soon. NCAA action. We've got a couple of games in action right now with just under six minutes to go in the second half. It's looking like the first Pac-12 team might be eliminated from this tournament as Florida State has a 55-41 to lead over the Colorado Buffs. Uh, up until this point, all five of the Pac-12 teams have shown up pretty well for themselves, including UCLA, which had to play in that play-in game. Uh, the other game in action right now, 10th-seeded Maryland is trailing Alabama by eight at the half. That is a 2-10 matchup. Uh, and, then that, uh, and then we have one more game tonight. That's going to be tipping off here in about seven minutes, and that's featuring another Pac-12 team, the USC Trojans. And to me, that's been one of the biggest storylines of this NCAA tournament. Yeah, you have Oral Roberts advancing to the Sweet 16. You love the Cinderella's. Everyone's bracket is shot right now. So you want to root for chaos. You want to root for anarchy and just have these young teams, these uh, low-seeded uh, underdogs, Cinderella's, whatever descriptive word you want to put on them. Yeah, you want to continue to see them make a run. And I think that's one of the fun things about the NCAA tournament is that there's hope. There's that chance that if you get hot at the right time and you are a good matchup with another team, you don't. it doesn't matter what the record is, doesn't matter what the conference is, doesn't matter what the seeding is. Any team can beat one another on any given day and that's no greater picture of that than the NCAA tournament so it's great to see the underdogs but the Pac 12 is having a revival right now in terms of their standing their place in the NCAA tournament in NCAA basketball I mean if this Colorado score maintains and if USC can beat Kansas that's a big if I mean it's I'm actually shocked I'm looking at the line right now USC is actually the favorite, a a one-and-a-half-point favorite for the Trojans in that game. So they have a fighting chance. There's no doubt about that. But even if USC gets in or not, you're looking at three, maybe four Pac-12 teams in the Sweet 16, which just seems so far-fetched with what we've seen in years past. And especially when you tack on what the Pac-12 conference has done on the national stage in football, yeah, the Pac-12 is one of the power five conferences, but it feels like it's more power four and a half. And then you have the Pac 12 carrying on that other half, half of percentage, half of a, you know, half of a real conference. They just don't seem like they're real viable contenders in anything. And maybe that's what can change the momentum here. And of course it's not hand in hand that if basketball starts to do well, then football will, but it will just be good for the stake for the sake of the conference for their the brand of the conference, I mean the brand has been diminished to the point where it's an afterthought in a lot of these major college ath, um, tournaments and the NFL or the college football playoff. The the Pac-12 is just considered to be a team out there that's just there. They're not real challengers for titles, and so maybe that can change. It does sting a little bit that ASU or U of A is not a part of this. And if you would have told me at the beginning part of the college basketball season that there would be three, possibly four, Pac-12 teams that were playing in the Sweet 16, I would have said wholeheartedly that ASU was going to be one of those teams. This was supposed to be the season to beat all seasons in Tempe. Everything was lining up with Remy Martin coming back, Alonzo Verge coming back, having the freshmen, having Bagley and Josh Christopher. This was supposed to be the season. And so it feels like there's a party going on and we're just, ASU and U of A fans are just outside the house looking through the window with our noses pressed up against the glass, wanting to be a part of it, but knowing at least in the moment that we're not going to be allowed in. And so as happy as I am to see the Pac-12 as a conference performing well, it does kind of sting that none of that neither of the ASU or, or U of A, neither of the in-state institutions are a part of what looks like to be a very special season for the conference. Coming up next, we're going to turn our attention back to the Phoenix Suns. The Suns are in a somewhat unusual place. They're one of the better teams in the NBA record-wise, Yet they don't have a whole lot of veteran experience. So, how could that translate once the playoffs roll around? We'll figure that out next here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Jordan Bird in for Luke Lipinski on this edition of The Rundown. Joining us right now on the Coulter Automotive Group sports line, he is from Arizonasports.com and Empire of the Suns blog and podcast. He is Kellen Olson joining us on this Monday edition of The Rundown. Kellen, how are you doing today?
3: What's up, man? Doing well. How about you?
0: I'm doing really good. I wanted to bring you on because you wrote a piece earlier this morning that's on ArizonaSports.com that I thought kind of answered some questions that a lot of Suns fans may have right now. And the overall genesis of this whole conversation and this whole piece is, and in fact, I'm reading the headline right here, is there precedent – for the major playoff success or for major playoff success with the Suns and experience. And I think that's a very intriguing question because right now the Suns are surprising the NBA world by how well they have played so far and where they currently sit in the Western Conference standings. But once the playoffs roll around, this is a team besides Chris Paul and Jay Crowder that has been thoroughly untested in the rigors of NBA playoff basketball. So, Just kind of a jumping-off point, what did your research indicate to you about is there any sort of precedent for the type of team that the Phoenix Suns are when it comes to the playoffs?
3: Yeah, it's it's interesting, Jordan, because it's one of those things you bring up and just assume it's going to be a weakness for this team, but sometimes it can surprise you when you look up and see, oh, well, actually there have been like five teams in the last ten years that have made – the NBA player have made like the conference finals or the finals with this young of like a supporting cast or whatever you want to call them. They're definitely not the supporting cast. It's three of the four most important players on the team that have never been in the postseason before. But unfortunately uh, for some fans, at least that, this was not the case. Um, it was pretty run of the mill in terms of seeing the amount of experience that teams had when they got there. It was, it was really challenging. In fact, to find teams that had, one starter at all that didn't have any playoff experience that was 25 years old or younger. Uh, Book is 24, uh, so is Mikel Bridges, and then DeAndre Ayton is 22. Now, the the thing that they have going for them, of course, is that Book is in his sixth season, Mikel's in his third, and just plays in a way that should translate perfectly to playoff basketball. DeAndre, of course, is is a question mark there. But even with that in mind, we see – Really great, not even promising, but just star young players get in their first postseason and kind of um, earn it, right? Like they kind of just get used to it. And the example I use in the piece is people will remember Stephen Curry's first playoff experience where they beat the Nuggets and then he went against the Spurs in the second round. And he scored 44 points against them in a memorable game one that went to double overtime and they lost. But in the other five games, he averaged under 20 points a game and scored 91 points total on 91 shots. So, And they lost in six games. So even for players who are outstanding, it really takes like someone who is like an all-time great. And even those players in their first postseason, it, ta- it takes a while for them to get acclimated. Having Paul is big, but it, that was basically the question I wanted to answer, and it's unfortunately not a good sign for the Suns, especially with the playoff experience in their conference on opposing teams.
0: So for you personally, did this research change your hope for how deep of a playoff run the Phoenix Suns can have this season?
3: No, not really, because I was actually... The, the question was one that I've poised to a lot of people in the last couple of weeks, just in terms of what their actual realistic ceiling is. I thought... Going into the season, I thought they were they were a team where if most things clicked together in terms of something realistic, like what we've seen this year, in my opinion, wasn't completely unrealistic, um, they could make the Western Conference Finals. But could they actually legitimately test the team they mean the Western Conference Finals or even make the Finals and then even win the Finals? I think that's like the contender status we're talking about. And I just ultimately didn't think so because of the playoff inexperience they've got on their team. And and that's where I arrived with this piece um, as well. And and it's nothing to harp on um, in terms of just like uh, diminish what they've done this season, of course, but it's just one of those discussions. We're going to start to have here in the next six to eight weeks as we get closer to playoff basketball, looking at, the X factors for this team and the lack of playoff experience is the big one for sure.
0: We're talking with Kellen Olson from Arizonasports.com. He wrote a piece talking about or looking into is there a precedent for how inexperienced the Suns will be in this playoffs? Uh, that From, you know, I think you went back to 1984, and it was far and few between trying to find teams that met that criteria of what the Suns will look like going in. You mentioned Chris Paul in your piece about how, you know, here's the veteran of all vets, the point God is going to be, you know, quarterbacking this team during the playoffs. How much do you think Paul's own lack of playoff success is going to play a factor in terms of how deep this team can go? I know that's the perception and perception isn't always reality, but I mean, do you think that that is something, I, let me rephrase that. Do you think Chris Paul's lack of playoff experience or uh, playoff success, is something that is responsible to him as an individual or kind of out of his hand, and that gets blown out of proportion a little bit?
3: Yeah, it's interesting when you put it that way, Jordan, and and phrase it that way, because I think that Chris is someone, especially when you look at statistically, you're surprised when you look at the statistics based on what you're told about his lack of playoff success. He's always been a performer, and he's always played well for the most part. It hasn't really been him being a choker, disappearing in big moments, I think that that's something that James Harden, he's earned that reputation, and the statistics, especially in the deciding games, back it up. But with Paul, you just have memories of him showing up in these huge Game Sevens for some of those Clippers series, for example, the first time he got past the first round, he was huge. And then you'll remember when the Rockets were looking like they were going to make the NBA Finals, he was... He was tremendous in in those games uh, against the Warriors. And then, unfortunately, they have that big injury, and then they lose in Game 7 on that crazy, unforgettable streak of missing consecutive three-pointers in a row. I think that he is battle-tested and has proven that it translates to a high level. Now, the interesting thing about playoff basketball is sometimes it brings even more out of guys. And and to bring up someone coming up tomorrow, Jimmy Butler – in Miami, and in my opinion, Jordan, he's a top-five player in the league. That might be a really hot take for people to hear. But with the way that he performed in the postseason last year, clearly battling through injuries, like he wasn't moving right at all. And then that unforgettable triple-double that he had in Game 2 when Miami made it 1-1 against the Lakers, super shorthanded. Um, it, sometimes it can really bring the best out of, out of guys that we haven't even seen yet. And I think that's kind of the hope for guys like um, Mikkel Bridges and Devin Booker that it, that it could. And I wouldn't certainly rule it out either because it seemed like Jimmy just like fully embraced the stage. And it feels like those two guys could as well.
0: Yeah, you know, when you mentioned as we're talking with Kellen Olsen, Booker and Bridges definitely could see them elevating their game or hitting a level that we haven't seen before or you know that we have seen in the regular season at times, but being able to carry it over on that big stage. The wild card in all of this is DeAndre Ayton. Do you think DeAndre Ayton, from what you have seen this season and from his makeup, his temperament, do you think he has that ability to join Booker and Bridges and reaching a new level once the playoffs roll around? He has the
3: ability to. Um, if I, if you put a gun to my head and ask me to answer yes or no based off the way this season has played out, I think the the obvious answer is no. In terms of if you had to if you had to guess, uh, especially with the trend recently of the fourth quarters and him being missing, that's because teams are really picking on him in the second half of games defensively. And in the past couple of games, he has shown up and has played well in those stretches. But there were just a couple of games ago prior where that was an issue. And I think it's something to keep an eye on for the next six weeks in terms of looking ahead to mid-May when the playoffs begin. Is he still closing fourth quarters? Is he still closing in the second half and playing effectively? Because the game plan, don't get me wrong, Jordan, the game plan against the Suns is going to be what teams are doing to him right now, which it seems like what they're doing is putting him in actions over and over again, making him think, making him react, and really trying to overwhelm him. And with the way playoff basketball is, how physical it is, how demanding it is, how attentive you have to be the whole time, that is going to be the number one game plan for teams. And he's going to know it. The Suns coaching staff is going to know it. And it's going to be on him how he responds. So if you're talking about like a big moment being set up for him, that's certainly a stage where he, it could bring out the best in him. But with that being said, it's the way that it's trended so far has been unfortunate. And then at the same time, it kind of does in a way set up this narrative where he could really, like this could be the breaking out point for him because everything will be working against him.
0: Final ca- question for Kellen Olsen as he joins us here on the Coulter Automotive Group Sportsline. Um, Devin Booker, the last three games. Last night, he had four points in the fourth quarter. Friday night in the win over Minnesota, Zero in Thursday night's loss when the Suns needed him, one point. Is there anything to this current stretch of Devin Booker and his offense going MIA in the fourth quarter?
3: It's it's the balancing act that they have to figure out before the playoffs start. If we want to talk about DeAndre in the next six weeks, we can talk about Devin too because – They are the most effective in closing games when he is at least contributing to the offense, if not commanding it. I think that you still want Chris Paul to ultimately be the guy making the decisions and making the shots late just because of the the track record that he has in those situations. But Book's right there and proved it in the bubble and and has proved it throughout his career when he's been uh, presented winning moments he's been able to pull through. And, And what's going to be interesting is that balancing act of, okay, like we want to get DeAndre the ball a couple of times here so he remains engaged and get him going, but Chris is also running the show. And where Devin can find himself in the game, it becomes one of those things now where it's at least a a thing, I guess, Jordan, for lack of better phrasing, because now if any of these games on this four-game road trip start to get close in the fourth, I think the number one person we're going to be watching outside of DeAndre is going to be Devin and just how he is finding himself in those spaces and if this actually becomes a trend. It's a thing right now, but if it's a trend in a couple more weeks, that's where you start to become concerned. I'm not concerned about it. I think he's going to work himself out of it. And it's just a little thing they're dealing with right now is they're not really playing their best basketball, but I think it's going to snap into place and they'll be fine.
0: Kellen, great stuff as always. Really enjoyed your piece today talking about is there a precedent for the Phoenix Suns and their inexperience in the playoffs. If you haven't read it, go to ArizonaSports.com and check it out. Always appreciate your time and your insight and appreciate you joining us here on The Rundown.
3: Really appreciate it, Bert. Thanks, man.
0: All right. That's Kellen Olson joining us on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line. He is of Arizonasports.com. Himself and Kevin Zimmerman do a great job with the Empire of the Suns podcast and blog. And, I mean, it's just so refreshing to be talking playoff basketball in the context of the Phoenix Suns. Coming up next, hour number two of the rundown. We'll get you the rundown reload, the top stories of the day that you need to know, including potentially. A big blow to the Arizona Diamondbacks before their season even begins. That's coming up next here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7
2: FM, Arizona's Sports Station.
0: The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. Jordan Bird in for Luke Lipinski tonight, and it's time for the Rundown Reload, getting you squared up on all of the top stories of the day, locally and nationally. First up, we start with the Arizona Diamondbacks. As Torrey Lavello and Zach Gallen mentioned to reporters today, Zach Gallen has been experiencing right lateral forearm soreness. Typically, when you hear anything about the forearm with a pitcher, this is an indication that potentially Tommy John surgery is going to be needed. It's not yet to that point Zach Gallen told reporters that he's gotten x-rays gotten cd ct scans mris they're waiting on second and possibly even third and fourth opinions but as of right now, it doesn't look good for Zach Gallon in terms of at least missing some time. Now, hopefully, the Arizona Diamondbacks will be with Zach Gallon this season. If they're going to make any sort of noise this year, they're going to need that young right arm and all of the capabilities that he can bring to this Diamondback team. So it's going to be something to continue to monitor with the status of Zach Gallen. And it just kind of feels like the Diamondbacks always get a little snake bitten, no pun intended when it comes to the end of spring training with injuries. And here's potentially another one, as Zach Gallen, many believe, myself included, should be the opening day starter if he was healthy. Now, that obviously is thrown into question, but Zach Gallen is going to get the, some further opinions on that. And the most frustrating aspect of the whole thing is that the injury initially occurred during batting practice for Zach Gallon. He told reporters that he's been a big proponent of the designated hitter, and this is just another reason why. But it would be brutal, a gut punch, to not only lose one of your top players, one of your top pitchers, but to do it with a non-pitching-related activity. And Zach Gallen, that's just going to be something that we will continue to keep an eye on. The Arizona Cardinals made a couple of offensive line additions and re-signings. They brought back Max Garcia, the guard, on a one-year deal. They also signed Brian Winters, who spent last season with the Buffalo Bills, started nine games for the Bills. He, too, is a guard. They brought both of those players into the fold today. It raises the question for many about what did that mean for starting left guard Justin Pugh from last season. Steve Kine put those questions to bed today saying that Justin Pugh will be the Arizona Cardinals starting left guard. However, it now raises the question about what will happen at the right guard spot. J.R. Sweezy is a free agent. J.R. Sweezy had a rough year last season for the Cardinals. So don't expect him to be back in any shape or form. But will a guy like Winters or Max Garcia or even Josh Jones, the third round pick from last year's draft, who was selected as a tackle and being thought of as a guy that can anchor one of the ends of the offensive line, could he slide in to that right guard spot? Nonetheless, it's going to create some great competition and make whoever wins that battle have to go through a little bit of trial and error and not just be handed a position. So the Cardinals add some depth. They add some veteran leadership in terms or veteran experience, I should say, with Winters. And it's going to be fascinating to see how that right guard spot plays out as we get deeper and deeper into the NFL offseason. Patrick Peterson was formally introduced today by the Minnesota Vikings on a Zoom conference call. Wearing a purple suit, Patrick has always been known for his showmanship, but it was the general manager of the Minnesota Vikings, Rick Spielman, who let it be known that it was Patrick Peterson and his agent that called Minnesota and floated the idea of Peterson joining the Vikings. Spielman said that, They were a little surprised at the idea of Patrick Peterson wanting to join them because they thought he was not going to be in their price range. But they were able to do some finagling with their finances and find the space, find the cap room to add Patrick Peterson. Now, Peterson said that one of the reasons why he highlighted the Minnesota Vikings in terms of being a team that he wants to join was because of Mike Zimmer the head coach and how he has prolonged and how he has aided veteran cornerbacks in trying to stretch their careers out to as much as they possibly can get. Patrick Peterson has always made it well known that he still thinks he has four or five good years left in him. He said today that he's hoping that he can play until year 16, which would be another five years. So Peterson is looking at this opportunity and joining Minnesota as a way to stretch out his longevity in the NFL. I think it's a bit of a pipe dream that Patrick Peterson believes that he can play that long. The cornerback position is very similar to running back in today's NFL where one day you're considered to be one of the greats, one of the elites at your position and then just due to losing a step and the new wave of younger, stronger, faster, more agile players coming into the league, you're yesterday's news. So I wish all the best to Patrick Peterson and his new team win Minnesota, but I would be shocked, absolutely shocked, if we are talking about Patrick Peterson still playing in the NFL five years from now. The Phoenix Suns beat the L.A. Lakers last night, a very big game for the Phoenix Suns in terms of the tiebreaker. The Phoenix Suns now own the tiebreaker over the L.A. Lakers, and I know a lot of people might be saying, well, so what? What's the big deal about that? As closely contested as the Western Conference standings are shaping up to be, tiebreakers could become a very valuable, determining factor in the race for seeds in the Western Conference. As it stands right now, between the second-seeded Phoenix Suns and the eighth-seeded Dallas Mavericks, they're only separated by six games. When you take a look into the Eastern Conference, there's a little bit more of a discrepancy in terms of the separation. So that is something that really could play a factor and the one thing that terrifies me and we're going to get into this a little bit later is now with lebron james out with a high ankle sprain the lakers already without anthony davis could we see a slide by the la lakers when it comes to the western conference standings and as opposed to playing a team like the san antonio spurs or even the portland trailblazers or the dallas mavericks the Phoenix Suns will have to match up with an L.A. Laker team in the first round of the NBA playoffs. That is something that has me very nervous and something to keep an eye on as we get deeper and deeper down the stretch. Also going on right now, the NCAA tournament, the first Pac-12 team of the tournament just lost. That was the Colorado Buffaloes. They fell to... Florida State 71 to 53. It was a real route of a final score. However, Colorado had their moments in this game and was sticking around until about the midway point of the second half. So the first Pac-12 team is out. Up until this point, all 5 of the conference teams have been surviving and advancing. That includes our game in action right now, 10:50 remaining in the first half. The six-seeded USC Trojans are leading the three-seeded Kansas Jayhawks 13-7. to So potentially, the USC Trojans can keep these good vibes going and keep the Pac-12 being one of the major storylines of this NCAA tournament. Right now, they have three teams in the Sweet 16. If USC can win this game, that would be four, 25% of the Sweet 16 field could be from the Pac-12 Conference. And considering where this conference as a whole has been over the last decade plus, it would be a real feather in the cap for this conference to have that type of success. Now, on the flip side of things, the Big Ten has really, really had some issues. They lost Iowa today. They were upset by Oregon and a blowout. I mean, Oregon just crushed them. So the two-seeded Hawkeyes are out of the tournament. You go down Michigan. They held on and they beat LSU today 86-78. That is one of the only Big Ten teams that has been advancing. And right now Maryland is getting dominated by Alabama 65-42. to So a Big Ten conference that was being looked at as one of the strongest in the entire country. They made history by having so many one and two seeds coming from the same conference they're really down to just a handful of teams. I believe it's now just if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's just Michigan that continues to survive throughout this tournament because Illinois lost to Loyola Chicago. Wisconsin lost to Baylor. Rutgers lost to Houston. Uh, Yeah, I mean as we stand right now the only team that's going to advance is Michigan to the Sweet 16 after all of the hoopla and praise of what they did in that regular season. So An interesting wrinkle to this NCAA tournament. Uh, The Cinderella's today did not fare too well. Abilene Christian was crushed by UCLA. The Ohio Bobcats lost to Creighton. So as yesterday really was the day for the underdogs with Loyola Chicago and Oral Roberts advancing, today it's been a little rougher for the Cinderella's in the NCAA tournament. That is the Rundown Reload. Coming up next... Steve Kime met with the assembled media via Zoom and talked about the free agency plan and moves already made by the Arizona Cardinals and what could be next. You'll hear some of that press conference coming up next here on 987 FM Arizona Sports Station.
1: The Rundown, 987 FM, Arizona's Sports Station.
0: Jordan Bird in for Luke Lipinski on this Monday edition of The Rundown. The big news out of the NBA, and it played an immediate factor in what's going on with the Phoenix Suns last night in their game against the L.A. Lakers, is that LeBron James has a high ankle sprain. He could miss weeks, up to potentially even a month, according to some NBA reporters. And with as convoluted and congested as the Western Conference playoff race looks like right now, how close all of these teams are, you could see a big swing and where the LA Lakers are standing in terms of the Western Conference when LeBron and, to a lesser extent, AD come back off of those injuries. In fact, Brian windhorse was on Get Up this morning on ESPN and talked about how this injury could have ramifications all throughout the West. They're a bad week from being out of the top six, and that's not anything about them. They're second right now, but they're four games from being seventh. And if they fall that far back, they would have to be in the play-in tournament, which means they would not possibly play the number one or number two seed in the first round, not to mention those teams in the – in the play-in zone, face maybe the Lakers backing up to them with LeBron James and Anthony Davis roaring through there. So all of a sudden, you've got teams in the top hoping that the Lakers avoid the play-in tournament. You've got teams in the middle saying, can we pass the Lakers to get in? And now the sixth seed, potentially you avoid the Lakers and potentially avoid the top seeds in the in the West. So the sixth seed becomes the most important thing. The six seed is important because as Windhorst just illustrated, 7 and 8 you got to play in that play-in game. But look at how close everything is. The Suns right now are 2 games back of the Jazz for the top spot in the West. The Clippers are 2 games back of the Suns at number 4. The San Antonio Spurs are 3 games back of the Clippers at number 7. I mean, there's a 5 game difference. That's it between 2nd and 7th place right now in the NBA Western Conference standings. And so if the Lakers are, like Wendor said, if they're one week away from playing themselves into that six or seven or eight seed, that's going to be a big shakeup in the Western Conference. And for the Lakers, I don't think it really matters. I mean, as long as Anthony Davis is healthy, as long as LeBron James is healthy, it doesn't matter where they're at. If they have to go through the play-in game route, then I think they have all of the ability to actually do that. It's more mileage, it's more wear and tear on LeBron and AD and the rest of that Lakers roster. But this is a team, and these are players, specifically LeBron, that know when, when and how to turn it on at the right time. What scares me, though, about this scenario of the Lakers slipping in the standings is that the Suns potentially could be looking at them as a first-round opponent. I mean the Suns right now are in the second seed, right? And the Lakers are only 4 games back of the 7 play the 7 seed which would be a play-in game. So they would have some work to do, but isn't that just the Phoenix Suns luck in a sense that after all of these years, after a decade of missing out on the NBA playoffs, And getting the number 2 seed, you would think, okay, that's a very advantageous matchup for you in the first round. That's the whole purpose of the seeding in the playoffs, is that you're facing a team that is not necessarily your equal. But for the Suns, they would have to get the L.A. Lakers with a healthy LeBron, with a healthy A.D.? It terrifies me because the Lakers, and yes, the Suns do have the... um, the tiebreaker with their victory over the Lakers last night. Then the Suns have had success over the Lakers, but they've won those games without LeBron James and without Anthony Davis. Now I know you could say, well, that last Lakers game for the Suns before last night, Devin Booker was ejected on one of the worst calls that you've ever seen a player get ejected for. So the Suns weren't at full capacity either. But I have real concerns about a seven-game series where DeAndre Ayton is having to bang down in the paint with Anthony Davis. Terrifies me. And let's be 100% honest with one another, the Suns would not be any sort of benefactor from the officiating in that. I mean, LeBron and the Lakers would get call after call that the Suns would not get. The Suns, even though they would be the two seed, or the three seed even for that matter, if the Lakers go to six, the Suns are not going to have that advantage. Even though their record may indicate that they're one of the better teams in the West, they still have a lack of respect when it comes to officiating and just the the overall perception of this Phoenix Suns team. We like to think that they've turned a huge corner, and they have, but the playoffs are a different beast. The playoffs are a different dynamic, and... I, I'm not going to hate if the Suns get into the playoffs and have to be, have to play the Lakers and they end up losing in the first round, but after this much time that us fans have gone through, waiting and hoping and just anticipating another playoff appearance, that would be brutal to have to open up with the Lakers. Now, it, it could be a huge momentum boost if you can get through that series, but that's also easier said than done when you're talking about playing one of the greatest players of all time. What are the Arizona Cardinals going to do with the cornerback position? That is the big question right now, because as of right now, they basically got Robert Alford and Byron Murphy under contract, and that is it. And according to Steve Kime, when he met with Assembled Media on a Zoom conference call today... It doesn't sound like Byron Murphy's role from the slot corner is going to change
2: anytime soon. Byron can play outside. He's done it before. Uh, I think, you know, to to find guys who can play inside is a little more difficult uh, than years in the past. It's a really tough position uh, with two-way goes and the quickness that's required to play inside. And we think Murph's one of the better inside corners in the NFL. He can play outside as well.
0: I understand the... Significant importance of having a third cornerback and having a slot cornerback, especially in today's NFL, where more and more offenses are using four and five wide receiver sets. And it's imperative to have someone that you can count on, that you can trust in that role. But if Byron Murphy is capable of being one of the two starting corners on either the left or right side, then he needs to be given that opportunity. Because using a second round pick, what you selected Byron Murphy with, which was actually the first pick of the second round, so we're talking about the 33rd overall selection. When that selection, when that pick was made, and they selected a cornerback, you're not thinking, oh great, there you go, the Cardinals have their slot corner. No, you're thinking at one point in time, this guy is going to be a starting cornerback. One of our two starting cornerbacks on a consistent basis. And I think that's where we have to be thinking in terms of this. Um, I don't know if that was a nice way of Steve Kime saying that he doesn't think Byron Murphy is ready for that, and that's just pure speculation on my behalf. I'm not saying that that is the case. But if you use a second-round pick, if you use the 33rd overall selection on a cornerback, then two, three years into that player's career, they better be ready to take on a role of greater importance than just being the slot corner. So I would love to see Byron Murphy get that opportunity. I would love for him to see to get that chance. Now, the Cardinals still do need to bring in some veteran players – And here's what Steve Kime had to say about that
2: today. You know, every team has holes. And one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to panic uh, and do things that uh, put you in a tough situation from a cap standpoint. So uh, we'll continue continue to monitor the market. Uh, There's different avenues that we can take, whether it's through free agency, trade options, or even the NFL draft.
0: Now, the draft is where I would love for the Cardinals to take a corner with that 16th overall pick. With one of those three corners that are coming out, Caleb uh, Farley, Patrick Sertan, and also J.C. Horn. That was the third one I was trying to think of. If one of those guys is still available at 16, I'm running to the podium and selecting them. And I know it's not a perfect scenario and not something that you can really rely upon or count on to have a rookie handle such an important starting position. But once again, you're using a top pick on a player that hopefully can contribute right away. I know that that seems like a radical concept and a radical idea when you look at the Cardinals draft history, especially in the first round. I mean, Hassan Reddick was a project in the to the letter of the definition. Uh, Isaiah Simmons was selected eighth overall. Many people were thinking he should be defensive rookie of the year, and it took him almost the full season to finally start to find some rhythm in what he's trying to do. That's not normally how it's supposed to go. You're supposed to be able to select the player, especially in the first round, in the upper half of the first round, and have that player be someone that you can count on or at least shows the ability and the makings of turning what their skill set is currently into something that can be long-term sustainable. So if the Cardinals take a cornerback at 16, I know it's not the perfect scenario, but that guy should be able to help should be able to contribute right away. Maybe you can move Byron Murphy to one of those outside corner spots and your new young corner while they're trying to learn the ropes of the NFL can play in that slot. Now, I know that that's you you can't just broad stroke that and say, well, you know, if he's not good enough for one or two, then you can move him into three. It takes a special skill set to be able to play in the slot, as Steve Kine was illustrating. But. I think that if the Cardinals can get one of those guys in the draft, that is my ideal situation right now. And then also, in terms of the veteran cornerbacks, I think you're kind of hearing from Steve Kime, if I'm reading between the lines of that last soundbite, that the cornerbacks that are still available out there want money that the Phoenix or that the Arizona Cardinals are not willing to pay at the moment. That if you can wait them out, then maybe that price tag comes down a little bit and it becomes more easy for the Cardinals to stomach a contract with a cornerback. Now, you're running the risk of this hole being detrimental to the success of the team next year. If the Cardinals cannot stop anyone through their passing attack and their cornerbacks are getting beat routinely, we're all going to rue the day that Patrick Peterson left Arizona and wonder why Steve Kime didn't pay Patrick Peterson. I'm still in the camp that I am fine with Patrick Peterson leaving the Cardinals especially with what he's being paid in Minnesota, and especially considering his level of play the last two seasons. So for me, I I might be eating my words, you know, nine months from now, but I'm fine with the Cardinals not bringing back Patrick Peterson, but they have to find some realistic, viable options to help cover that. Now, the other caveat in this whole thing is with the addition of J.J. Watt and bringing back Marcus Golden, having a healthy Chandler Jones, That Cardinals pass rush, if they can stay healthy, should be daunting, and that will help maybe a less talented secondary, putting pressure on the quarterback, making them make quick decisions, not allowing them to just sit back there in the pocket and pick your defensive secondary apart. It all works in tandem with one another. But as of right now, the Cardinals are really seeming to kind of chance it here by not having a whole lot in the arsenal when it comes to that cornerback position. Coming up next, we'll turn our attention back to the Arizona Diamondbacks, some potentially, potentially bad news when it comes to what many perceive to be the ace of the Diamondbacks' pitching staff. What's going on with Zach Gallon, and how can the Diamondbacks overcome it? That's coming up next on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. No! No! The rundown with Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Jordan Bird in for Luke Lipinski on this edition of The Rundown. The Arizona Diamondbacks got a bit of a scare today, and that scare may actually turn into a nightmare depending on how this actually plays out. But it was Zach Gallen and Tori Lavello meeting with reporters today and informing everyone that, Zach Gallen has a right lateral forearm soreness, and that should be sending off sirens all around the baseball world. When you start talking about a pitcher with forearm soreness, usually, more often than not, that could lead to Tommy John surgery, which is just devastating for the amount of time that a player is out for a procedure like that. Zach Gallen, as I mentioned, met with play, met with reporters today and talked about. When he first noticed this injury, the soreness in his right forearm.
1: It happened, um, BP, just, you know, hitting on the machine, just a couple missed barrels. Um, I think the one that did me, I I just got jammed and, you know, just didn't feel great. Um, But, you know, in terms of pitching, playing catch, throwing in the games, I only feel it on my curveball, which is like the weirdest thing. Fastball, changeup, cutter, slider, literally all feel normal. Velo was up and surprised, so you know everything points you know in, in a positive direction. Um, but yeah, the curveball is just kind of kind of annoying more than anything. So figured you know it's just kind of lingering around. Let's let's get it looked at and see what the deal is.
0: That's actually a great sign that he's only feeling the soreness in terms of his curveball. Everything else is looking good in terms of his pitching and even being uh, you know even being at the plate or using the the bat in batting practice, that's when it also creeps up. And he also said that that's why it's frustrating right now is because this injury happened while he was at batting practice and not
1: a pitching related issue. It's definitely frustrating um, considering I'm kind of an advocate for that, for the DH, um the, it, the I get paid the pitch. So that's like kinda how I look at it. So, you know, this but it, it comes along with the job. Um nationally you gotta hit, you gotta bunt, you gotta do those certain things. Um but yeah at the same time it could have been in there and those couple of swings, you know, whatever it was that they might have just aggravated it and and made it, you know, whatever. Um but yeah it's just it it, it kind of stinks that it's um not the way, you know, not from throwing, it was a hitting injury. So, yeah, in that sense, it, it kind of stinks.
0: You know, initially, when you think about this, you think, man, what a huge, devastating blow this could be for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And it would be. I mean, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it one way or another. But if it's not full Tommy John repair, if it's not full Tommy John surgery that needs to be done, then we're talking weeks, maybe months that Zach Gallen could be out. And when you look at last season, in that shortened 60-game year, Zach Gallen was not going to be able to go from his innings pitch last year to a full workload this upcoming year, where he's getting 30 starts and pushing 200 innings pitch. That just was not going to be the case. You can't go from that minimal amount of work to expanding it that quickly for a young arm like his. So there was going to have to be some maneuvering, some finagling, if you will, by Torrey Lavello and his staff in trying to find creative ways to not push Zach Gallon too hard this upcoming season. Now, you wouldn't want it to be an injury that sidelines him, but in a way, it's not like the Diamondbacks are going to be missing if it is only a few weeks or maybe a month or so. It's not like the Diamondbacks are going to be desperate during that period of time now the other angle on this and I know Diamondback fans don't want to hear this but expectations are low for this team I mean it's not like the Diamondbacks are being looked at as a true contender in the NL West and a team that can make some noise and the potential injury to Zach Gallen and the amount of time that he would be out has derailed their championship hopes as backwards as it may sound it's if Zach Gallen is going to be out even for a short period of time, but especially if it's going to be a lengthy injury, then you'd rather have it in a season like this when the expectations aren't there, when there isn't much um, you know, people around Major League Baseball that is expecting much out of the Diamondbacks, as opposed to a year where, man, the D backs have to have Zach Gallen to live up to the expectations of being a true NL West contender. So it's just a situation that's going to continue uh, to develop. Hopefully tomorrow we're going to get some further word on how severe this is going to be and what this could mean for Zach Gallon and the Arizona Diamondbacks moving forward. Steve Kime with Reporters Today was asked the question. Is there anything at all you've you, you heard from Larry? Uh, where, where, where are we with the whole situation?
2: Well, we've texted a few times, but but nothing to uh, the extent of his intentions. What do they text about then?
0: I mean, if we if you're texting a few times, but not to the extent of knowing if Larry Fitzgerald's going to come back for another season with the Arizona Cardinals, what are you texting about? I mean, how great the weather is, movie recommendations, what you're watching on Netflix. I, I just don't get it, and it could just squarely be that the Arizona Cardinals and Larry Fitzgerald know what is going to happen. They know the decision, and they're just keeping it quiet for whatever reason. They're picking the right time for Larry Fitzgerald to announce his retirement. If he was going to come back, I think that he would have already made that decision, and we would have already heard that announcement. So the only other thing that it leads to me to think is that, well, maybe there is another team out there in free agency that is courting Larry Fitzgerald. I... Don't know if that's really the case. Larry, to his credit, has always been a man of his word, and he has always said that he's a Cardinal, that he's not going anywhere. And he's also said that if it was up to, you know, the only reason he would come back and play another year is to chase a title. Well, with the moves that the Arizona Cardinals have made this season, yes, there are other teams out there that you would put at a higher probability of being a championship caliber team, but the Cardinals are not chopped liver right now. They're a team that can make a viable argument that they're going to be a contending team. So it's just something that just gets drawn out and drawn out. And I can't believe we're at this point where, I mean, I doubt an announcement is going to come tonight. So at the earliest, we're looking at March 23rd before knowing what Larry Fitzgerald is going to do. Kurt Warner, his former quarterback and Arizona Cardinal Ring of Honor member, was on with Bickley and Murata. My gut instinct, and again, it's simply just a gut instinct. I haven't talked to Larry in a while. Um, My gut instinct is that he's done. Um, But again, I don't don't know why I necessarily think that. You know, We've talked a lot over the years just about uh, if he feels like he can be productive and an instrumental part of a team. And obviously with what they're building there, you feel like they're going to be a competitive team. Um, would I be surprised at all if he came back and continued to play? Not at all. Um, you know, keeps himself in great shape and feels like he can still have an impact. So um, that's definitely a possibility. But I, I don't know, just for whatever reason, my gut just says, you know, he's kind of been playing this for a while and, um, you know, that maybe it's time for for him to move on. But But who knows? I just don't know if there's a place for him on this Cardinal roster because with the addition of A.J. Green, you now have Green and Hopkins on the outside, Christian Kirk should slot into the the third slot role for the Arizona Cardinals. And I just don't know where Larry Fitzgerald would fit in with this. I mean, to me, I'd rather have Christian Kirk as the third option than Larry Fitzgerald who has no disrespect to what he's accomplished, but he's not the player that he used to be. That's going to do it for this edition of The Rundown. Thanks to Jeff Darge on the other side of the glass and Luke Lipinski for letting me fill in. I've been Jordan Bird. Have a great rest of your evening here on Arizona Sports 98.7 FM.